all that zooming does is um, let you see the subject maybe a little more clearly if it's too far away, but you'll get better results in the long run if you just take the picture without the zooming and then put it into whatever editing program you use. Welcome to the Common Errors in English Usage Podcast. I'm here with Paul Bryants, author of the Common Errors in English Usage website and book. I'm the editor of that book and host of this weekly podcast, Tom Sumner. Hello, Paul. Hi, Tom. Paul, you've been talking about photography, something you have a great interest in, and it turns out we were trying to scratch the surface, but it turns out the surface is very wide and uh even though we're still on the surface, there are a lot of topics to cover. Uh, you had been talking about focus before, and I think you wanted to say something about fixed focus to go back to that previous topic. Right. I mentioned that one of the reasons you can take such nice, sharp pictures with your phone uh, is that it has a very small lens. And, of course, that lens is fixed as it doesn't have a real zoom when you quote zoom unquote mm -hmm. <laughs> with a phone you're actually just cropping the picture and enlarging what's left and losing resolution and making it fuzzier um except that the new apple iphone has uh, two lenses and when you zoom you can switch between one lens and the other and that's kind of a neat trick but uh, professional photographers sometimes swear by using non-zooming lenses and just carrying an array of lenses with them. I know one guy who does a lot of landscape photography and is uh, semi-professional, and he uses a wide-angle fixed focus lens for everything all the time. And for some people, that's, that's uh, almost a religion. But for the average person, uh, that doesn't make sense because you have to carry around all these cumbersome heavy lenses and be swapping them in and out. And uh, professional, that can be worthwhile, but for the average amateur, it's not. And that's why uh, point-and-shoot cameras, which are getting better and better, that uh, don't have swappable lenses, are so popular because they're really easy to use and you don't have to worry about carrying stuff around. Now, so you're saying if I use my regular non-state-of-the-art iPhone, an older previous version of it or uh, an Android phone, and I'm trying to zoom and it tells me my camera is zooming, I would be just as well off to shoot the picture. And later, if I want to, I can crop it. And I'm not really doing anything by zooming in. All I'm doing is cropping it down. Okay. Exactly. All that zooming does is um, let you see the subject maybe a little more clearly if it's too far away. But you'll get better results in the long run if you just what you said. Just take the picture without the zooming and then put it into whatever editing program you use. And both uh, the Mac and Windows have free photo editing programs that will do minimal things like cropping. Mm -hmm. Sure. So uh, it's not something to be afraid of. <laughs> Mm -hmm. So is that about it for fixed focus? Yeah, there's an awful lot you can be said about focus, but every camera has different uh, capabilities, and the more expensive the camera and the more advanced the settings, the more complicated the focus can get. It can make your head spin. Uh -huh. But uh, using your eyes is really important, and even so, occasionally you're going to get 
out of focus. I took a great shot of a deer watching me in the forest the other day. And uh, it was really a lovely scene. I had it nicely framed with branches going around and so on. But there were a few stray twigs going right up in front of the deer's face. And the camera decided to focus on those twigs. Mm-hmm. And the deer's head was maybe six inches beyond that, just enough to get throw the deer slightly out of focus. And I was able to select the deer in software and sharpen up the fur a little so it looked pretty good but when i look at it i know it's a lost opportunity a lot of people have told me they think it looks great but mm-hmm. and that's something we can say about digital photography and uh post-production manipulation working in photoshop uh there's no substitute for having a good image to begin with and that's sort of the topics we're talking about is how can you capture a good image to start with yeah, the exception I found with my camera, now this only applies to very, very good expensive cameras, is that I can take severely underexposed pictures where it comes out almost black and there's hardly any detail and brighten it up into quite a respectable looking nice picture because I'm shooting in raw Mm -hmm. and raw gives you much more elbow room to work with. So that's what I wanted to talk about next. Raw is a file format, R-A-W, right? Right. And it doesn't stand for anything except raw. It's raw data. Mm -hmm. Um, Cameras have their own ways of saving pictures and most people shoot these days in jpeg Mm -hmm. jpg or which was the windows abbreviation in the days when they could only do three letter suffixes jpeg which was the standard and um the advantage of jpegs is that they're small they're compact they're easy to move around you can take a lot of them if your camera doesn't have a lot of storage in it say your phone tends to get really full um it's really handy for that but Often serious photographers prefer to shoot in RAW, where JPEG includes a lot of compression. They are actually pixels that are thrown away, things that yeah you wouldn't notice with your eye as being missing. And uh, what it does is, is just crunch the whole photo. The problem with JPEG is that what you shoot is constrained by that compression, whereas RAW takes is a sort of a potential photograph and uh, raw can uh, take very very bright things and very very dark things in the same picture and depending on the camera depending on the settings there's going to be some limits but it gives you much more elbow room if you want to brighten up a dark area or tone down a bright area there's a lot of room for um, adjustability with raw And if you want to bring out more details in the picture, there are more pixels to work with. So you can get more sharpness if you want. And um, I'm a great believer in RAW. You need to have big capacity cards, but they're getting pretty cheap. An SD card that fits in an SLR camera um, for 64 gigabytes doesn't cost that much. And the price keeps following. Now, for those who are interested in it, at the top of our talk about photography, we're talking about the International Standards Organization. And there's actually a, an organization of engineers who put together the file format JPEG, the Joint Photographic Expert Group. And that's where we get JPEG from. Right. And these people got together and decided on the standard 
for this sort of compression that you're talking about. We're losing information when we shoot or convert our photos to JPEG, but uh, it's through careful manipulation according to the standards set forth by that organization. It's sort of the MP3 of the photographic world. Yeah, yeah, exactly, which is the motion picture expert group. (laughs) Put that together. So uh, these standards organizations are uh, out there. I suppose if you're expert enough, you can sign on to try to get on one of those if you really want to change the world. But Oh, no, don't change it. <laughs> but they've done a good job of putting together these uh, standards that are in place. Uh, you mentioned SD cards. That's secure digital. That's where that initialism comes from. Right. And, of course, RAW doesn't have any um, – doesn't have anything. Yeah, and the interesting thing is RAW, which sounds like it should just be total unfiltered, unmanipulated data – is different format for almost every camera. And you'll find that your software that helps you edit RAW will sometimes need to get a profile for your particular camera if it's not built in. Whereas JPEG is standard, RAW is not. There's RAW for my camera and RAW for your camera, not the same thing. You actually can't look at a RAW photograph. You can get a preview of it, that shows you what some of the information might look like in a raw editor. Um, But you're not seeing the full range of the data that's embedded in the file when you look at one of those previews. So you you play with it. Uh, Some people are religious about saving their raw files because once you've edited, you lose a lot of information. You might want to go back and do something else again. I tend to be pretty casual about that. There have been a few times I thought, why did I get rid of that raw image? I really should have done it a different way. But I don't have enough regret that I keep them all because they do take up a lot of space on your computer. And the more high definition you choose, the more pixels, uh, the bigger the file. And they can get really humongous. Now, those of us who don't have a high-end single-lens reflex camera, SLR, are not shooting in RAW. Uh, If we're shooting with our phones, we can't do it, right? No, actually, with the newest Apple phone, um, there are add-in apps that you can get that allow you to shoot in RAW on the phone. And a lot of little point-and-shoots also allow you to shoot in RAW. So it's becoming more common. That's great to hear. Um, I'm sitting here with my camera that can't do anything but JPEG. But uh, anyway, it's fine for my pictures, the snapshots I want to capture. But uh, if you want to do something a little bit better, uh, you should be shooting with a camera that can capture RAW. So the new iPhones, you're telling me they have two lenses right? so that I don't need to use fixed focus if I don't want to. I can switch over. And using an app, I can shoot RAW images. Yeah, of course, you need to have lots of memory in your phone in order to do that. <laughs> right. How great are these photos compared to your Canon SLR? It's partly a matter of luck, but there are some great photos. Apple prints these huge billboards, you know, saying taken with the iPhone 6 or the iPhone 7, um, and they're stunning pictures. But, of course, stunning pictures are easier to come by when you're using a more advanced camera. Mm -hmm. 
Now, one use for raw is that sometimes I'm stuck in a situation where I can't or don't want to use a tripod, but the light conditions are pretty low, and I'm worried about camera shake, which is just my hands, my arms trembling a bit. Um, And so what I'll sometimes do is start shooting uh, much shorter exposures, which come out with severely underexposed um, that are dark and when they come out. But because I'm shooting in raw, sometimes I can recover a really good shot out of that, even though there wasn't a whole lot of light coming into the camera. Mm -hmm. That's not something I recommend regularly, but as an emergency measure, it it can work sometimes. So uh, almost all of my photographs I open in the Photoshop raw editor which comes bundled free with all photoshop products including elements and lightroom also lets you edit in raw and uh, you can do some wonderful adjustments in there i've never had much luck with sharpening but there are quite a few things that you can do in a raw editor and you can open jpegs in a raw editor too that's a little trick that um, you don't do by double clicking on it you have to go inside the raw editor and choose uh, file open as raw and it allows you to use the tools now the ones that i use the most are the white balance um, often the white balance adjustment is much more effective in raw than it is further into the program and then the toning down the highlights and bringing up the shadows those are wonderful and they, they works extremely well the raw editor, by the way, that comes with Photoshop Elements is a simplified version. The one with the regular Photoshop is more sophisticated, as is the Lightroom. But I find that the one in Elements does just fine for most of my needs. Um, I also find that uh, introducing some more white into the picture, if it seems a little dark, that's different from just brightening it up, and it has a much more subtle and pleasing effect. And... Um, then the clarity. Clarity is different from sharpening, and this is not a visual medium, so I'm not going to try to describe the difference, but it really can make a lot of difference. It's easy to overuse it. You, you want to play with it, um, but especially if you're taking pictures of architecture or anything with straight lines in it, and sometimes in nature, uh, a little bit of that uh, clarity can be really nice. And the Vibrance slider also, uh, which is different from saturation. Vibrance makes things kind of pop, and it can get looking artificial pretty easily. I rarely move it more than one tiny little position. But, um, yeah, a good raw editor can do an awful lot. So my pictures are more than halfway edited by the time I get finished with a raw editor. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's great for all of us who have access to raw files. Um, what about my JPEGs, though? I could do the same stuff with that? or Yes. As I said, you could just open the raw editor if you have one. And from the file menu, choose Open as Raw. And then just click on your JPEG and it'll open up. And then you have all the tools that you use. Now, the thing is, they won't be quite as effective. Because if you try to brighten up a dark area that dark area probably won't have much detail to be brought out in it if it's already a JPEG. But it's surprising how much uh, good work you can do with it that way. Is there anything to be said about megapixels? Way back when, you wanted a very high number of megapixels, and uh, it turns out 
it's possible that the opening, the aperture that is available may actually be more significant than the megapixels. Am I on the right track there? Absolutely. Megapixels got into an arms race. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And once you got past 12 or 15, it really got kind of superfluous and didn't make a difference. It's the size of the sensor. And then, of course, all the settings that you use with your camera, including the aperture, that really determines how much information is getting into your photograph. So if you're point-and-shoot camera, uh, some of them have a little bit larger sensor area. Right. And if you aim for those, uh, they're a little more expensive, but the images will be better. After a certain number, you can disregard the megapixels. Right. I think my current camera has 22 megapixels, but um, it's a full-frame camera, which means... 35 millimeter equivalent and um, it's still not capable of doing those big wall poster size things mm-hmm. <laughs> that you see for people who use you know large format cameras which are not something i'm interested in getting into although i'm occasionally envious of their output so when you talk about your photo manipulation and getting into those detailed areas and not being able to bring them out in a jpeg or a camera that shoots with a smaller sensor area, uh, you're not talking really about, I mean, the megapixels really doesn't factor into that capability much. Well, after a certain point, I mean, if you only had, say, five megapixels, yeah, you'd notice a lot of difference. Mm -hmm. But I'm just saying, once you get past 12 or 15, um, you shouldn't buy a camera just based on the megapixels. There are other factors that are more important and, and the uh, the sensor size is definitely an important one. Okay, sure. Now, I talked to one guy who doesn't like full-frame cameras because he says that with some lenses you get vignetting. Uh, vignetting is when the corners of the picture are darkened. They can just be slightly or extremely, and sometimes it's like a shadow cutting off the light in the corners. And uh, Photoshop Elements is great. It's got a filter for uh, reducing vignetting that works beautifully most of the time. And I also sometimes, if it's severe, I'll just crop the picture smaller so that it cuts off the vignetting in the corners. There is a philosophy that says that uh, a little bit, a very subtle, almost unnoticeable vignetting in the corners is more attractive to most people. I think that's true. Uh, So some people apply vignetting. Um, it just gives a feeling of containing the picture, of it being more of a unit. Uh, so aesthetically, it can be kind of pleasing. Now, the other tool that I use besides the RAW editor to do most of my editing is the Nick Filter group. And uh, those used to be very expensive. You had to pay hundreds of dollars for a single filter. And now it is free, 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 free. And it's been bought by Google. Uh, the problem is that Google, um, once they bought it, did a sort of quick touch up to solve a few problems and then they seem to have stopped developing on it. They're not making money from it anymore. It's just a giveaway. Uh, but it's still very much worth having. And I do most of my work on my pictures, um, when I'm doing a lot of intensive work with those filters. And that's N-I-K, Nick. N-I-K, yes. And if you just search for Nick, um, you'll get an opportunity to download it. works on both Windows and Macs. Some of the applications stand alone. You don't even have to have a photo editing program. Others work as filters within, and there's a whole range of them. I won't go into all of them, but the two I use the most are the Detail Extractor and Brilliance and Warmth. 
the detail extractor does a vastly superior job of sharpening up and making your picture more focused looking than uh, the old sharpening techniques. And it's very, very sophisticated. I don't pretend to understand all the technology behind it. Um, you can over sharpen things and you start noticing uh, halos around the leaves that you're shooting or um, just things looking weird and unnatural. And when you back off a little bit, the default I find that it sets is too high. I almost always open up the picture in detail extractor and then back it off a little until it looks good to me. But that's, of course, a subjective judgment. It's the kind of thing you don't need a lot of technical knowledge, so you need a sense of aesthetics and knowing what you see. And, of course, a good computer screen. Mm-hmm. Brilliance and warmth uh, does some amazing things. You can take a fairly dull photograph and just make it gorgeous with brilliance and warmth. And uh, there's nothing in elements that approaches it unless you were uh, a genius at using all the different sliders for the colors and so on. And I just don't have the time, energy, or impulse to learn to do all that kind of stuff. But brilliance and warmth, I apply a little bit of that, sometimes quite a lot of it, to almost all my photographs. And again, you don't want it to be looking unnatural, but uh, it really is almost miraculous. There's also Silver FX Pro um, is one of the filters for creating black and white photographs up from color, and it gives you a nice wide range, more sophisticated alternatives, I think, than Elements itself does. Uh, Silver FX Pro um, Nick filters. Nick filters is where you get the brilliance and warmth and the detail extractor you were talking about. Yeah, all of these I'm talking about are parts of the Nick filter set. They're all part of the Nick filters. Okay, well, this is something I certainly need to look into myself. And another pair that I use sometimes, Define 2, it's got a sort of a contradictory name. Sounds like it might be a sharpening tool, but it's actually a blurring tool. And it's for um, pictures with a lot of noise in them. So typically, if you haven't got enough light when you're shooting, there will be random pixels that are scattered around in the sky, not making it look nice and smooth or in a person's face. And Define 2 does a beautiful job of going in and making those areas look more solid. They can improve a photograph tremendously. Um, and then and the more extreme version of that is called Skin. Usually, uh, when you make a portrait of somebody, you want their eyes to be really sharp and you want their hair to be well-defined, but you don't want the skin of their face to be super sharp unless you're somebody with, uh, you know, where they got this incredible beard you wanted to capture. Particularly if you're photographing a woman, they usually won't appreciate it if you can see all the pores in their faces and every little blemish. And so you can apply the skin filter and you can actually paint it on and just paint it on the forehead and the cheeks and so on and leave the areas that you want to have sharp alone. And then they have a separate one called sky where there's a big stretch of sky in your picture and there's a bunch of pixels in it. So it doesn't look like a nice smooth sky. And you can, again, just select that sky uh, with the magic paintbrush and then paint in with the sky tool. It does a really nice job. So there's a lot of sophisticated things you can do with this tool that is just absolutely free. Mm. The last one is a huge topic, and and that's the HDR tool that comes with it. It does not work as a plug-in with Apple products, but it's fine as a standalone tool. 
Now, HDR stands for High Dynamic Range. Right. And that's probably a topic for another time because that's a big thing. It's very hot right now, and there's a lot of discussion about it. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, I do want to talk about it another time. Well, I'll just say thank you for this introduction to your work of uh, photography, this technical discussion about the different file formats. And uh, we've talked about uh, going through and doing photo manipulation and all the technical things. Uh, we left off uh, high dynamic range, uh, which is HDR. And that's one technical thing I want to talk about another time. I also want to talk about your practice as a photographer some other time. But this is a great introduction to some of the topics that people come across on their cameras. They may not know what they are, uh, may not know what some of these initials are. Um, this helps explain quite a bit. And I'm going to go back and look up Nick filters because I've never used Nick filters myself. And I better find out about this. Well, thank you, Paul. Let's wrap it up and uh, we'll talk to you next time. Okay. Thanks, Tom. Bye. Bye.